Well, good morning, Grace. Good to see everybody today, and happy Father's Day, and thank you for being with us on this great day. I know that some of you know that uh, Pastor Kevin and I both have been experiencing this uh, empty nest thing recently, and um, you know, it's interesting how people have responded to me on this. Some will come up and they will say, oh, all your kids have left, that's so sad. And then others will come up and say, yeah, party! As though Vicky is a party animal or anything. But then some people oddly come up and they'll say, they'll be back. <laughs> I don't know what to make of that, but I, I, I love being a dad and I do want to take a moment and really thank Grace Community Church. Our kids have all been active here for the last 13 years uh, in music ministry. Many of you have seen them. And uh, Vicki and I just want to express thanks to the church for your love to them and your encouragement to them. And, you know, they've been encouraged and blessed through the programs of the church, but mostly through the people. And you've encouraged them and, and uh, prayed for them, challenged them. And it makes me just want to say to all of you, uh, get involved, get your kids involved in the programs here at the church because they can be touched by staff and volunteers and people who will really help them out. So get them involved in camp, get them involved in youth group, children's program. It really will be a blessing to, to your parenting. So just want to encourage everybody with that. Now, the, many of the pastors are down in Georgia at a wedding today. And uh, so we're going to continue in our series, Off the Chain, which is the book of Galatians. And we're going to be in Galatians chapter 2 today, if you want to follow along with us. Just uh, last week, Pastor Kevin, in his preaching, he really revealed that passion and yet at the same time that frustration of the, the Apostle Paul because the gospel had been compromised and there's a lot of energy to defend it and to clarify it. But that, the tension that fuels that issue goes way further back and is deeper. And I want to spend just a moment to kind of give that backstory. See, the Old Testament shows us that God's covenant people were set aside as a group from other groups. And they were given the Torah. They were given uh, commandments and ceremonies. They even had dietary laws, like they couldn't eat pork, they couldn't eat bacon, donuts, you know, but they had all these things that were added to and that they had to follow to identify themselves. But these things were taught, they, these things were designed to teach the sinfulness of men and the holiness of God. They were never designed to justify someone. Even in the Old Testament, people related to God by faith. Then you have the New Testament where Christianity begins amongst the Jewish community in Jerusalem. But the message of Christianity was designed to go out to the whole World And Galatians 1, starting at verse 13, as Pastor Kevin ended in verse 12, from verse 13 all the way to chapter 2 and verse 10 that I'm not going to read today, just a little backstory. Paul, who is a converted Jew, tells his story. And he talks about how he was zealous in his ancestral teaching and how he tried to destroy the church. But then he meets Christ. And then with that, he is called to be a preacher to the non-Jews or to the Gentiles. And he spends time in Arabia and Jerusalem and in Syria preparing 
and preaching the word. In fact, in chapter 1, verse 23, it says, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And so they were glorifying God because of the ministry of Paul. But then there were many uh, Gentiles who were coming to Christ. As we've been talking about in the book of Acts, how the church was just growing. And then with that growth, there were these Jewish leaders who were believers. They taught by, that salvation was by grace, but they believed that you needed to add some of the practices of the Torah in order to be justified. And they undermined Paul's gospel, and they went into the Galatian churches and were causing these issues. And of course, this breaks Paul's heart, and he communicates his frustration. And so Galatians is this intense, passionate response to that situation. Chapter 1, he spends time clarifying the gospel, defending it, and warning about not distorting the gospel. Chapter 2, we see that there's a council at Jerusalem where Paul and Barnabas and Titus, who is a Gentile, they all meet together with the apostles to confirm that what Peter is preaching to the Jews and what Paul is preaching to the Gentiles is the same. And it kind of wraps up in verse 10 that they're all in, in harmony, in good fellowship, and in unity. And while they're preaching the gospel, they're constantly reminded for the poor. And then we come to verse 11. And a confrontation takes place here. You can join me there as it moves now to Antioch, verse 11. But when Cephas, who is Peter, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For prior to the coming of certain men from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they, the Judaizers, came, he began to withdraw and hold himself aloof, fearing the party of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews joined him in hypocrisy with the result that even Barnabas was carried away by their hypocrisy. But when I, Paul, saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in the presence of all, if you, being a Jew, live like the Gentiles and not like the Jews, how is that? Is it that you compel the Gentiles to live like the Jews? I wish I had been there <laughs> to see this. You know, some people like conflict. They like when there's going to be some kind of match or a duel or a debate or a fight. They'd even pay good money for it. But I'm not sure who would pay tickets to see two preachers confronting one another. You know, there's those stereotype preachers. Preachers really come in all forms. You got those who are very peaceful and speak about the peace of Jesus. You know what I'm talking about? Then you got some pastors that are kind of more on the on the pious, where they will talk about the deep oracles of God. You've heard those, right? Then there's Kevin, who's buff, got arms out to here, you know? And then you got me, who just plays the piano, you know? And even some have called me corny. I, I don't get that at all. But what you see in this confrontation here is we're seeing two heavyweights. We're seeing two champions of the gospel of grace. And I would have paid to have seen this. Peter, first of all, when you think about him, he's not a wimp in any way. He was a fisherman. 
mean, the conflict with him taking Jesus, he gets out his sword and cuts somebody's ear off. We know his boldness. His influence is off the charts. I mean, who wouldn't want to listen to the stories of Peter? He was a leader in the church. He was a pillar in the church. He was a preacher of the gospel of grace, and God used him in a mighty way. And then in the other corner, we have Paul. And if I were to briefly describe Paul to you, we know that he's smart, that he's bold, that he was a, like a terrorist against the church. We know of some of the tough things that he could do to people. But he also suffered tremendously. And so we have these two. And Paul sees firsthand what Peter was doing, and he decides to confront him. So you might ask, what did Peter do that would merit this confrontation? Well, Peter had been closely connecting to the Gentile believers. He had no problem eating with them, no problem doing communion with them. There was no prejudice. He enjoyed all their liberties. He would eat pork. He would eat bacon donuts. There was just nothing that he didn't enjoy and in fellowship with the Gentiles. But when these Judaizers came... It says that he withdrew. He disengaged himself from the Gentile believers. And with that, he... I'm sorry, I'm sorry I kind of lost my thought there. With that, it says he was aloof, which basically means that he decided to side with the religious. He kind of looked at this as there's a racial issue as well that I can't associate with them. So he was aloof. In other words, snubbery. And you know, it doesn't make any sense why this would happen, why Peter would have been afraid, because there really wasn't any physical threat from the Judaizers. I mean, at most, they would disassociate with him. He might lose some, some power. He might lose some popularity. But things get worse. Verse 13 says, rest, the rest of the Jews joined Peter in this hypocrisy. And then even worse than that, Barnabas was carried away. Barnabas is Paul's close friend. Barnabas is the one who was going with Paul preaching to the Gentiles and seeing how the gospel would change lives even to people who had no Jewish background. He'd seen that with his own eyes, and yet even him, he was drawn away. So Paul, seeing this, confronts and he confronts with a lot of energy. And it's not physical, but it is facial. And the, what Paul was after is he definitely wanted to correct Peter. He wanted to nip this in the bud. He wanted to make sure a leaders cannot be an heir when it comes to the gospel. He also wanted to correct the Judaizers. Because the gospel by grace alone is bigger than any preacher. So it doesn't even matter if Peter is involved this needed to be corrected. In fact, the Judaizers thought Paul, Paul's gospel wasn't real because Paul wasn't one of the 12. But really, though it was a big deal to confront Peter, Paul was committed to keep truth over harmony. Because if you lose truth, you lose the way. And if a church won't protect and promote truth, then it won't be of any help to mankind. So the gospel is worth this confrontation. So what did he say? And for fun, I'm just going to illustrate this by kind of talking about a sparring match. However, it's 
Paul's the only one swinging. Paul's the only one uh, throwing the jabs. But also what you're going to see in here is you're going to see two themes. You're going to see a legal story presented, and you're going to see a love story presented. Let's continue reading with some legal jabs in verse 15. We are Jews by nature and not sinners from among the Gentiles. Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. So the first jab is that the law doesn't justify. So why would we demand or preach that to the Gentiles. It didn't work for Israel. It wasn't designed to make anyone holy. It was designed to show and clarify their sin and show the holiness of God. It didn't work for Paul. In Philippians 3, we see how Paul is with the big list of his, his pursuit of justifying himself by the law in a very tedious way that he had to come to the conclusion that all of those works compared to Christ, everything he was doing was done. And it didn't work for us. He uses this word we, and he's referring to himself and Peter and the other Jewish Christians, because he's basically saying this, we know what it is to grow up in a system of demanding religious rituals in order to please God. So we should know this. It also didn't work for humanity. Look at the end of verse 16. He says, Since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. That word no flesh, he's talking about below the skin. It doesn't matter who you are. Something we all have in common. We cannot justify ourselves. Second jab, what he's kind of saying here basically is that we all have a legal problem with God. This word justified, I'm going to go over some of these legal terms. The word justified uses three times. Basically, what's in the message of the gospel, what Peter and Paul are called to preach, is designed to justify humans. It's not to build a church. It's not to do that. It's the message is to help a person understand how they can be justified in the eyes of their maker, to make them acceptable. Righteous. That word is really not a religious word. It means to be straight. It means to be approved. It means to pass specifications. It's something that we want from others, and it's something that others want from us. See, righteousness has this relational quality. You know, if, I, if I'm righteous, I'm basically saying I am presentable to someone else. I am presentable to someone else to pass their inspection. Or I am to be found clean in order to please someone. Someone said it this way. Someone said, being righteous is a validating performance record which opens doors. See, we, in other words, can't accurately pronounce ourselves self-righteous. What he's saying here is, it's like a resume is needed. A resume that would, when we do a job resume, we, we basically are listing all our skills, all our qualifications in order to be accepted. And so what we need is a spiritual resume. Now I'm going to speak in street terms with you. We 
are not right. If we're honest, we know we all have issues. We know we all fall short, and it's bigger, it's a bigger problem than we admit. And we actually don't need the Bible to tell us that. It's something we can observe in ourselves and observe in others. But also, we need to be right, because our mental and emotional and spiritual health depends on that. Even if you're really sharp in a lot of areas, I think we all know we have some areas that are quite a hazard. We want to be clean. But often we make what we want clean in our own eyes relative, in a way, to fix ourselves. In reality, we ain't and we can't be righteous. The truth indicts us all. And that's not a religious concept. It's observable. So what do humans do to be able to be justified, to be able to be accepted? Well, there's three pretty common responses that we, we all do. And that is we blame others when we attend to whatever it is that's wrong with us, when that's brought out or when we think about facing God. We blame. We basically say, this problem you see I'm not responsible. Somebody else has caused this. So please accept me because somebody else created this wrong in me. Another thing we do is we compare. And sometimes what we do with that is that we say, hey, I might have my problems, but have you ever seen them? I'm much better than them. So would you please approve me? Or would you look at, yeah, I've done some wrong, but would you look at all the right I've done and please Accept me on that. And you know, another thing that we do is we make idols, and we make them of all kinds. And that can be religious, but it can be just other pursuits, things that can make us feel accomplished, make us feel better, make us feel accepted to others or to ourselves. And what Paul is doing here, these swings that he is reminding Peter of, these swings are really to the head. He wants to affect the eyes of Peter. He's saying, Peter, don't you see our calling that only the gospel gets people off the, their, the chain? People will seek needlessly and struggle needlessly to free themselves. And their efforts, whether it's religion or pride or pleasure, will only add chain after chain. This phrase, the no flesh jab, is also reminds what Christ told them to do to preach the gospel to every creature because he wants everyone to be justified. So Paul's not done. He has some final legal, legal jabs, kind of moves to the torso. Look at verse 17. He says, but if while seeking to be justified in Christ, we ourselves have also been found sinners, is Christ then a minister of sin? May it never be. So this jab kind of hits with a thud. This is, does this make Christ a minister of sin? If it's wrong to eat with the Gentile sinners, Christ ate with you, Peter. Does that make him a sinner? That's a crushing blow to Peter because I'm sure Peter would know that he loved that Christ ate with him. And many occasions, 
And so this would have probably been really hard for Paul to put on the table because that's why he dismisses it so quickly by saying, may it never be, I can't even picture, can't even in any way rest for a moment thinking that Christ is a sinner. And then he hits him with, is Paul a minister of sin? Verse 18, for if I rebuild what I have once destroyed, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live to God. Paul is saying, Peter, consider my story. Why would I rebuild something that I spent all that time doing only for it not to mean a thing? It doesn't justify me. Why would I rebuild that? You know that God has worked through me. You know that the, the gospel that has been preached to me has changed lives. You know me formally as the number one enemy of the gospel and of you. He's saying, I died to a work system so I could really live for God. I got off the chains, which would never set me free. So throughout this presentation, with all the legal terminology, we actually see that there is legal help. It's screaming out of these verses. And it's in the phrase, justified by faith in Christ. In other words, someone has entered the courtroom to give another view of us. Because, see, we really can't clean ourselves. And actually, God doesn't clean us. He doesn't make us clean. He declares us righteous. Because when you justify something, you don't change the fact of it. You change the view of it. The fact is we are sinners. So Paul writes about this in Romans 8. He says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation. And even that word now is important. For now, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's clarifying legally that when I exercise faith in Jesus Christ, I am placed in a union with Christ in the historical event of his death and resurrection. So what happened in his crucifixion was my debts and my penalty, my sin, was paid in full. Now, according to the law, when a man committed a capital crime and was put to death, the law has no more claim on him. And if for some reason he was able to rise, then he would be guiltless before the law because he's paid his debt to society. And that penalty would not have any claim on his new life. So when a believer trusts Christ and what he did on the cross, he dies with Christ. And the law's demands against him have been paid by Christ. So there's a question that we might ask and that we struggle with. And that is this. So if I'm not really truthfully righteous because I'm a sinner, how can a right God stay right and declare me good? And that leads us to, chapter, or to verse 20, which is the power verse of this chapter. And what I want to do is I want to read for you a pastor's explanation of this verse. All that could be accused of me before the living God, from the first time I that I lied to every act of injustice, to every angry lash out at the creator of the universe, 
every sin imaginable that an accuser could bring before God, Jesus at his right hand would say, no, I paid for that. This is my adopted son, perfect, spotless, pure, holy, mine. In the cross of Christ, all that made me an enemy of God was poured out on him, absorbed completely by him, so that I am no longer under wrath, but under mercy. So I each day celebrate my own funeral, and I come together with others to sing and celebrate that I have been crucified with Christ. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son, Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Believers, that's what we want to celebrate, that I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And that cross is my death too. Wow. What I hear in that verse is I hear legal satisfaction. I'm crucified with Christ. I hear in that verse that I am accepted in God's courtroom. I hear in this concept that I have new life. So this is a great verse. If you've never heard it before, mark this down. Make it a life verse. Meditate upon it. There's so much there. And then in verse 21, he kind of gives the final legal, the legal jab. And he says, I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died needlessly. And I focus on those two words, nullify and needlessly. If we nullify that we're saved alone by the grace of God, then the cross was needless. It was a waste. There's no point to crush Christ if there are other ways to be accepted. And this makes total sense, or would make total sense to Peter, who watched the whole death process of Christ. The work of Jesus on the cross sets us free. There's no more chains, no condemnation. I am accepted, justified, and declared right before God. So Paul makes all these legal points to his face. And now he's going to add something, actually, to Peter's heart. And that's the love story that's nestled right into these verses. And that is this, that the reason for this painful legal exchange is because of love. Why? Give me one reason why he should step in on my behalf, except for love. Was he blind to all the facts? Absolutely not. Knows every single thing that any of us have ever done. The action of this love is that he gave himself up. Basically, he chained himself willingly because of love. It makes no sense. There's no legal reason. There's just a love reason. So if the legal story didn't convince Peter, maybe the love story did. 
And Paul's speaking this from his personal experience. This is what motivates Paul. And knowing and understanding, that's why he phrases it the way that I'm crucified in Christ. Paul, this is what drives Paul, and he's reminding Peter of the same. Now, we're not told Peter's immediate response to this confrontation. We don't know if he argued back. We don't know if he ran. We don't know if he hit the deck. We, we just don't know. But we do know his lifetime response to it. And that's seen in the book of 1 Peter, where Peter later writes to the church where he sums up what faith in Christ leads us to. And let me read this. It's a long passage, but it's beautiful. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith being more righteous than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he kind of finishes with something I know I can connect to, what the Gentiles could connect with, anyone after the time of Christ can connect with. He says, and though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory Look at this, obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. Do you hear anything in there about justifying yourself by works? Do you hear in here being accepted now and forever? And sure, there are trials, and sure, in our walk with faith, there seems to be a distance, and we can't see everything what he's pointing us to is the outcome of your faith is that you will have the salvation of your souls what peter did preach is being justified by faith in christ it's what all humans desire for us to be accepted and a guarantee of that acceptance now i just want to wrap up with you and a few takeaways from this passage. First of all, these first two chapters are really to believers and to pastors, kind of warning us to never distort the, the true gospel. And because unfortunately, many pastors have done that. You know, legalism, what we can learn from this story is legalism, adding stuff to the gospel, reducing maybe that edge of it. It's close to all of us. If it happened to Peter, it can happen to anybody. If we cave in because we don't want to offend or we just want to keep peace, then we won't see chains break. If we snub others because we see ourselves as superior and we see others as inferior, then we become chain makers and not chain breakers. 
Believer, I want to say a few things that I think are so important. How I was moved by this passage is to be ever humble. May we not lose sight of the legal things and the love things that went into our salvation. May we see that it's by God's grace, and may that always humble us. Not one of us deserves the legal work of Christ, and if we're really honest about who we are, we don't deserve his love. So may we be humble to die daily to ourselves that Christ could live through us. May we, as we serve, serve in humility that this is a blessing to be a part of the, the preaching and the spreading of the gospel. And then also, could we be more bold? Because we have in the gospel the message that helps people know how they can be accepted by God. We do need to talk about sin. There's stuff going on in our world that is grasping people and chaining people People are hungry for light, but they're going to all the wrong sources, and it only adds more chains upon them. And we can't be quiet. And when I'm talking about being bold, I'm not talking about yelling and screaming or saying derogatory things to our culture. We need to be bold to tell our story, tell what God has done in our life, how he has broken the chains in our life. We have a lot of people here at Grace, and I get the privilege of watching so much of this. You saw some of it last week with the baptisms. There are people who say, all right, I will trust you, God. I will give you my life. I will trust what the cross means. I may have been, been through all this. I may have done all this, but I'm going to humbly give you my life, and we get to watch people change. We get to see habits fall off. We get to see new direction and new attitude. And no one's perfect. It's a process. But it's a beautiful thing. Why would we keep that quiet? We need to be more bold about speaking about our faith. Now, one thing in this passage, talking about living for Christ that the rest of the book of Galatians, there's still so many cool things to talk about, but you're going to see in the rest of the book of Galatians as we go through this study, you're going to see what some of those things are, what it is to have Christ living in us. So please stay tuned. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, I don't think any pastor can thoroughly or eloquently explain the gospel. We're told to preach it. We're told to present it. But the real work goes on when the Holy Spirit of God puts his finger on your heart. He sees your resume. He, he sees what you have to offer to be accepted. And when he puts his finger on your heart, what will result is a feeling of guilt, feeling undone. Let him do that. Respond to him because what's also involved in that is his invitation to you for you to trust him, to trust his resume, and to stop trying to build your own acceptance. And so if you're here today, 
Let the Spirit work on you. Humble yourself before God. Receive what he's done for you legally. Receive what he's done for you out of his great love. And he will accept you right where you are. Amen? So I would like to invite, if there's anyone here who would like to talk about that, you can come to room one. There's a few of us in there. and We'll be glad to talk with you about it. If you are in a hurry, we have uh, some booklets that we could give you that you could read that explain that, all that simply, but we'd love to have that conversation with you. Thank you so much for being here today. And may God get the glory for the preaching of the gospel. Amen? All right, let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for the day and for the meaning of the day. Work, Father, in our church. Help us, God, to never slide off. Help us never to add on things that don't belong. May, Lord, we stay true to the gospel, to the preaching, Lord, of the beautiful sacrifice that you have made on our behalf, so thorough to cleanse any and all sins. Thank you, God, for grace and the light that it gives to our community. Help us, Father, to be humble. Help us, Father, to be bold. Bless each father here. Bless each home here on this great day. And we'll give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks so much for coming today. God bless you. You're dismissed. <laughs>